0: Hello, it's wonderful to be back with you again talking about the book of Revelation. Thank you for your commitment to a serious study of Scripture. We are turning today to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, in some ways, uh, it is the most written about chapter in the whole book of Revelation. And it is very significant, and we're going to spend uh, probably two sessions on uh, this chapter, uh, because I need to do some significant uh, words of introduction, and then uh, we'll look at the text as a whole, and then we'll also um, continue to uh, go through it verse by verse. Uh, this text either seems to get overemphasized by some people or totally ignored by other people. The New Testament uh, scholar, great scholar R.H. Mounts one time said that this text, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, is the playground of cranks and fanatics. And that certainly has been true over the course of the history of the Christian community. Uh, I want us to look at it, take a very, very serious look at it, and um, work our way to talking about why it's significant and why how we interpret this text is significant. Let me... um, outline the context of the text and what's happening here. Uh, we started back a couple weeks ago looking at the climax of the book of Revelation chapters 19 through 22. And in some ways this is a, a, a self-contained unit. So even if you don't study the rest of the book of Revelation with me, uh, I think you can benefit from looking at the climax of Revelation chapter not chapters 19 through 22. Uh, in chapter 19, where we picked up a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw the final destruction of uh, the kingdom of the beast uh, with the henchmen of the beast. We saw the, uh, what we've termed the battle of Armageddon. We saw the return of Christ uh, coming in victory uh, to the earth. And now we can turn to chapter 20 what we find in chapter 20 and i want to just simply outline it and we'll get into it is um we see at the beginning of chapter 20 the dragon also called the devil also called satan is uh bound for one thousand years and this phrase one thousand years is the phrase that has given rise uh, to the term millennium so here is the text the only text really in the bible where the phrase the word millennium is used so uh, the millennium is here um, millennial thought is in many ways based on this text it um it is about this thousand years uh mille thousand annum means a uh, year years in latin so millennium is just a thousand years and here in this text we see at beginning at verse 1 of chapter 20 with the devil uh, satan the dragon bound for a thousand years and then um, we see the the thousand-year reign of christ on the earth uh, it begins after the binding of uh, the devil with the first resurrection i believe here in Reve- revelation 20 um, you cannot help but see two resurrections Of people from the dead. At the beginning of the millennium is uh, the first resurrection, uh, which begins the earthly kingdom, the earthly reign of Christ, uh, through the people of Christ uh, here on the earth. Uh, You see, it's a reign, I believe, of the martyrs. It's the reign, I believe, even more broadly than that, of the faithful. Uh, we are told throughout Old Testament and New Testament that we will reign with Christ. Uh, Blessed are the meek, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, for they shall inherit the earth. And for a lot of people throughout Christian history, uh, this inheriting of the earth is seen here in the millennial reign of Christ and his saints um, in this thousand-year period. So, this thousand year period, this paradise on earth, this uh, kingdom of God established on earth, uh, probably centered in the city of Jerusalem, in the Holy Land. There's a lot of precedence for that in um, the prophecies of the Old Testament in the earliest days and in the earliest days of the Christian church. Uh, So, this thousand years of messianic reign occurs here on the earth. Uh, The dead in Christ have been raised, and they participate with Christ um, in this thousand-year reign on earth. And then after the thousand-year reign, the devil is released. Uh, There's another gathering for battle with the forces of the devil coming against the forces of Jesus Christ. And again, there's not really a depiction of the battle, just the final defeat of Satan. And Satan is thrown into uh, the lake of fire and sulfur uh, like the beast and the henchmen of the beast were done. Uh, were are thrown into that same lake of fire in chapter 19. And then, even though it's not explicit, I think it's implicit, the second resurrection occurs of all the dead. Not just the dead in Christ, but all the dead. And then we see, um, as we continue through chapter 20, uh, the final judgment and then the kingdom comes in fullness when in chapters 21 and 22 you see the new heaven and the new earth come down and you see uh the the new creation uh, that becomes um, a heavenly creation that consumes earth so that's the outline of chapter 20 of, verse, uh, of the book of Revelation. Let me read through chapter 20 now, and then we'll go back through chapter 20. Here's, here's the text, beginning at verse 1, chapter 20, book of Revelation. John is writing, and John says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 4 continues, Then I saw, John says, thrones, multiple thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city." The fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Then, John says, I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone's, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the text. So, so I've given you... An outline. I've given you a cursory reading of the text, chapter 20 of Revelation, and we will eventually start going through that text verse by verse. There's a lot in that text. Um, just a few more words of, um, introduction. And this really Um, is something that if you're a theological geek and you really are into, uh, millennial theology, you may find this interesting. Um, this may be completely new for some of you. And for some of you, this may be something you've, you've read about and studied for years. Let's look at the whole concept of the millennium, of a millennial reign of Christ through his saints on earth the creation of a messianic paradise here on earth that takes place between the coming of Christ and the final expression of the fullness of the kingdom in history. This is uh, a lot of ways not completely unique to the book of Revelation. The word millennium, the thousand years, is referenced only here uh, with that term in the Bible. But throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly in places like Isaiah and Zechariah, there's a lot written in those prophecies about a kingdom of God, a messianic kingdom of God, a kingdom that's a great paradise that takes place on earth, is centered in, in Jerusalem, Uh, Jerusalem is the holy city to which all the nations will stream. Uh, That's the language that we tend to see in uh, particularly the prophecies of Isaiah uh, and Zechariah, but you can also find it in Micah. Uh, You can find it in other places. Uh, It's centered in Jerusalem. Uh, It's the um, becoming of Jerusalem as Jerusalem was originally intended in the mind of God. Uh, this chronology of a interim kingdom before the final kingdom is not just unique here in the Book of Revelation. I, I think it is also described uh, if you just look at the chronology of of the the coming of Messiah and interim kingdom and then the final kingdom. I think you'll see that chronology in Ezekiel chapters thirty-seven through forty-eight. I think in the New Testament, you'll see that complete chronology um, spelled out, at least uh, implicitly, by Paul, St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 23 through 28. Um, So at least in Ezekiel and in 1 Corinthians, you see the chronology that I've outlined for you that we see here uh, in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. Now, a lot of different places in the Scripture we can find uh, components or ideas or concepts that can fit into this chronology that I think is expressly given to us in Ezekiel and 1 Corinthians and here in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. Uh, It also is found um, in several different ways in other writings of Jewish apocalypticism, Uh, from before the New Testament period and during the New Testament period, First Enoch, the sibling oracles, uh, the Jubilees, uh, we see some of this same concept, uh, in the Habakkuk, uh, Pesher that's part of the Dead Sea Scrolls has been discovered. We see something like this there. So this, um, while only here is a direct reference to the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, of reign of the messiah on earth it's not a unique concept to the book of revelation uh, people deal with this in several different ways and here i'm going to throw some terms at you that again may be brand new to you may not be brand new to you but uh if you have studied the book of revelation for those of you who um Understand, know, or acquaint with these terms. I just want to be very specific about a few things. Usually, when we think about the millennium and this concept of an interim earthly kingdom ruled over by the Messiah and the Messiah's people prior to the coming of the end, capital E, um, there are several different positions that's uh, been termed premillennial. That means that the millennium, uh, comes after the return of Christ. Pre, Christ comes first and then the millennium. There's a post millennial, uh, group that's existed in the life of the church. That means this millennium occurs before the return of Christ, post millennium. Uh, there's an amillennial school, um, a sort of a misnomer. Amillennial means no millennium, but what the Amillennial School tends to teach is that the millennium is uh, a, a term, a phrase, a concept for uh, the reign and the rule of Christ right now in history, in the hearts of Christ's people, and uh, in the intermediate state of heaven, where Christ's people go upon death. Um, that's the amillennial school. And you may even know the old joke. People start talking about premillennialism and postmillennialism and um, amillennialism and they'll somehow work themselves to saying they believe in panmillennialism, which just simply says that we believe it's all going to pan out in the end. And uh, it usually makes me laugh a little bit, but these are con- significant concepts, and we will work our way t- to talking about why what you do with the millennium is significant. It's not just uh, a matter of biblical trivia. Uh, it, it, it really is significant what you do with the concept of the millennium. Um, I think it's very clear in church history that the earliest Christian community— was predominantly made up of people, if they dealt with this issue, that we would today term premillennialist. They saw the coming of a earthly reign of the Messiah. They usually saw it centered in Jerusalem, and they saw it coming about after the return of Messiah to the earth. Uh, that would be termed premillennialism. Uh, that concept really held sway for the first well, for the first almost 300 years of the church's history, people like Papias, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Irenaeus, I think we would term, in a broad sense, premillennial. After the church uh, became predominant in the Roman Empire, and it looked like the church was entering a state of almost millennial reign in the, in the earth Um, in history, uh, the concept of amillennialism became popular. It was Augustine, St. Augustine, who really popularized this concept in his The City of God and other places, where he referred to the millennial reign of Christ as the reign of Christ between his first coming and his second coming. The millennial reign of Christ is the reign of Christ in the church, through the church, in the hearts of Christ's people in history here and now. Uh, and that prevailed for, for centuries, particularly Uh, In in Europe, when Europe was considered Christendom, and it looked like the state was very much subservient to the church, um, they thought they were in a millennial reign. And Augustine and some of uh, the predecessors of Augustine helped them to understand that. When the Protestant Reformation came along, and again, I'm speaking in generalities here, but when the Protestant Reformation came along um, and the, the spiritualizing of the Bible, the uh, strong tendency to allegorical readings of the Bible uh, was called into question by the the reformers. Um, They began to look more seriously trying to look for the literal meaning of biblical text or the plain meaning of biblical text without always allegorizing them or spiritualizing them to mean something that might not even be clearly presented in the text. So at the point of the Protestant Reformation, particularly um, in the 17th century, uh, millennialism in the concept of an earthly kingdom to come in the future here on this earth, established by the Messiah, through the Messiah's people, began to uh, prevail again. And uh, in the 17th century and 18th century and into the 19th century, what you basically had were, um, particularly among Protestants, the view of post-millennialism. That the church would somehow bring about this millennial reign, and it really was seen as a great, tremendous spread of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's post-millennialism. The millennium will come, this thousand years will come, a thousand years being a symbolic term for a long period of time, will come and Christ will rule and reign here on the earth. Um, that, that held sway among Protestants uh, in the 17th, 18th, early 19th century. Let me say a word about John Wesley. John Wesley was heavily influenced by a German scholar uh, by the name Bengel, and, uh, Bangle was a German pietist, and it really was the Protestants of the pietist movement, and the Protestants, the Puritan movement, who began to, uh, resurrect, uh, the concept of a millennium. Uh, by the time Wesley wrote, and when you look at his notes on the New Testament, he, he tells you he's paying close attention to what the, uh, New Testament scholar Bangle wrote. Uh, it, it, it appears he believes in a millennium. Bengal was a, a unique in church history. He sort of taught uh, a, a dual millennium. He said the earthly age, the age of the church here and now, will end with the spread of the gospel and just tremendous success in the life of the church. And that long reign would then be continued after the physical coming of Messiah Christ back in history with um, the millennial kingdom that will be uh, the Messianic Millennial Kingdom that will be established perhaps out of Jerusalem. So there's a kind of a dual concept, and and Wesley at least put that out there in his uh, notes on the book Revelation, in his notes on the New Testament. And um, I, I, I feel a lot of kinship with Wesley, obviously. I think what Wesley wanted to hold on to was an earthly Messianic paradise that would come one day, But he also wanted to hold on to that, the concept that the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit would do tremendous work in human history now, in the age of the church now. Uh, A lot of the premillennialism that began to develop in the late um, 19th century became a very pessimistic premillennialism that just saw an ongoing decline of human history now, church history now, and it would be just a continual decline until the Lord returns to establish His millennial kingdom. Uh, but Wesley, like Jonathan Edwards, uh, they, they in their heyday were seeing great, great spread of the gospel. And they were very enthusiastic about the spread of the gospel. And keep in mind like the Wesleyan revival in England and what he was seeing. So he was very optimistic about what the gospel could do he held on to that, but he also held on to the concept of um, a physical paradise millennium uh, perhaps based in Jerusalem after the return of Christ. So uh, some have called this sort of a dual millennial concept. Uh, I resonate with that because I like the concept that Christ will establish an earthly kingdom here on this earth that will precede the final kingdom. It will be a messianic kingdom because I think much of the Hebrew Bible calls us to do something uh, with uh, paradise returning to this earth. Uh, but I don't like to give in to great pessimism uh, as far as to what the church can do in this age. I think it's important to make sure uh, to reference Matthew 13 and... Um, Jesus' parable, of the wheat and the tares, it's important to at least see that the wheat and the tares, the good and the bad, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy will grow together in this age. It's not just the growth of the kingdom of darkness, it's the growth of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy in this age. It will continue to grow but then Jesus will return and then establish a, a paradise on earth, perhaps based out of Jer- Jerusalem. So I like what, what John Wesley did there. Um, so I'm sort of laying out, I guess, at this point that what I tend to accept on most days is a premillennial understanding of church history and the coming of the kingdom uh through first the establishment of the millennial reign of Christ on earth and then the final kingdom. I think that is the chronology that you see here in the book of Revelation in in chapters 19, 20, 21 and 22. I think that's the chronology you see in Ezekiel 37 through 48. I think that's the chronology you see in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church first Corinthians chapter 15, 23 through 28, and it, for me, it just makes a lot of the promises of the Hebrew Bible um, find fulfillment in in ways that give uh, credence to the earthly the dimension of the Kingdom of God in Judaism, particularly uh, the faith is a very earthy, materialistic faith. Uh, we need to, and this is getting more and more popular we 're recovering this in this present age in which we 're living. We need to recover the earthiness of uh, the Jewish Christian faith and not just yield to this platonic idea. that that Christianity is all about a spiritual world, a spiritual kingdom. Uh, It's very clear in uh, both Hebrew Bible and New Testament that, that God is at work redeeming all of creation, material and spirit. And we have to somehow allow for both, and we don't want to lose either dimension. Uh, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament holds on to both dimensions, holds on to a fullness of Christ's redemptive work uh, in history, in this earth, and in eternity. So that's a lot of introduction to chapter 20 and a cursory reading of chapter 20. Uh, that's probably enough for this session. When we come back, I will just do a little bit of reminder. And then I will uh, go through chapter 20 of Revelation verse by verse. Again, thank you for spending this time with me. God bless you.